Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. If you have been in and around the holiness movement for more than a few decades, then the name David Denton is not a new one. What a trailblazer for God he truly was. This sermon he preached at the God's Bible School and College annual camp meeting in Cincinnati, Ohio back in 1980, and it's titled, I Have Found the Book. This is a classic message that I know you're going to enjoy. Well, we're glad you're here. Glad the Lord's here. I come with one desire, and that is for God to have his way. It doesn't make any difference to me whether I preach or not. I like to preach when God puts it on me. I like to listen to my brethren. I came with high anticipation of listening to these good men with whom we'll be working. But I'm not concerned whether we have preaching or whether we have singing. Thank God for this marvelous music. Friends, it isn't going to be worth a thing if God doesn't come. The thing I want is for God to have his way. If we don't have that, all the rest of it, we're just playing church. We're just going through the motions. I want God to move on us and have his way in this camp. Hallelujah. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read my scripture, but we will stand for a moment of prayer. We stand together. I ask that you remember, pray for us as we try to share with you tonight what God has laid on our hearts. Our Heavenly Father, thou dost know the need of this hour. You know our hearts. You know, Lord, the limitations of thine unworthy servant. Oh, God, take thy word tonight. Take thine unworthy servant. Take this thy people and take this thy cow, and make it what thou dost want it to be. Oh, God, settle down upon us, we pray, and abuse your power for thy glory alone. Not that the preachers may be bragged upon. Not that we may go off and report a great cow, but that God shall be glorified and souls shall be born into the kingdom of God and forever and forever and forever we'll give thee the praise and the honor and the glory for it all in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 22 we read uh, a story of a tremendous awakening in the nation of Israel. A boy by the name of Josiah had become king when he was eight years of age. But he walked in the ways of the Lord and began immediately seeking to bring his nation back to God. They had become worshipers of idols, of Baal. They had polluted the house of God with many things that had no business being there. And finally, in the uh, 18th year of Josiah's reign, something tremendous happened. 
They were repairing the church. They were getting it ready to use again. And uh, they were collecting money. This comes in very good after this good offering, thank God. They were collecting money. And uh, Josiah sent the Shaphan, the scribe, over to the temple to give some instructions to the Hilkiah, the priest, and to those fellows that were doing the work. The scripture says they didn't keep any accounting of it because they dealt faithfully. You know, marginal reference may have in there they dealt honestly. You see, the Lord can't do much for us unless we're honest. If there's anything in the world that the holiness movement needs tonight, it's revival of downright honesty. We just quit covering up and putting on and hiding and, and bullying our way through and make-believing that everything was all right and just get downright honest with God. Well, we'd have a tremendous revival. We wouldn't have to be preached to death to do it. They, were, they dealt honestly. And when people deal honestly, God will do something for them. And when Shaphan went down to the temple to deliver the message Josiah had sent to Hilkiah the priest, Hilkiah said to him, I found a book. And he gave it to Shaphan, and Shaphan brought it to Josiah the king. And he said, Hilkiah the priest has found the book of the law. And he read from the book to Josiah the king. And when Josiah heard the words of the book of the law, he read his clothes and fell in repentance before God and called for a national time of repentance that God might stay his hand of judgment for he saw some things in the book that they had failed to do. I'd like for you and I to think together for a few moments here tonight. The words of Hilkiah, I have found the book. Brother, sister, we need once again to discover the book of God. We need to get back to the book. We need to find the book. Very, very amazing thing to think that the book was in the church all the time, but they hadn't been following it. It was covered up with all the clutter and everything else they were doing. They had it hidden under a lot of trappings and other things. Instead of having the book in the central place as their guide and just tell them what God wanted them to know, it was hidden away until a generation or two had grown up in Israel that knew nothing about the book, including Josiah the king. And when Hilkiah uttered the words of our text, I have found the book, it was more than just a little uh, thing that amounted to nothing. It was a discovery that brought about a tremendous change in the entire nation. Oh, how we need to find the book in this day in which we're living. But somebody said, Brother Dan, why is it important? that we have the book. We have nice churches. We have good preachers. We have all the modern equipment that we have. We never had it so good. Maybe we didn't financially and materially and physically, but I'm afraid we never had it so bad spiritually. Israel was in good shape under Josiah the king materially, but they weren't living according to the book. You see, it's important that we find the book and know the book because of whom it came from, who gave it to us. It's God's book. And anything that comes from an important source is important. The very 
very fact that God gave us the book ought to be all it takes to make us dig into it and find out what God has to say to it and then be willing by the help of God to do what we find in the book. You know, I began to get messages from a party 51 years ago. At first, it was just little notes. And then uh, I moved away and was gone for four years, and I got letters, lots of them. And I wrote lots of them. Of course, that was back when postage was two cents and three cents and a penny postcard. We don't write as much now as we did then. Postage has gone up. But I began to get letters from a certain young lady. And she began to get letters from me. I cherished those letters. I read them. I kept them. Every bit of it, including the envelope. I didn't want to lose any of it. I very well remember one day when I was in college, some of the fellows got a hold of one of those letters and they said, now, uh, you don't need to read this. We're going to read it to you. Uh, we're going to read it and tell you what's in it. No, you're not. I'm not interested in what you say that she said. I want to see what she said. You know, that's where we are today. We're hearing what some fellow says that it says. All we need to do is hear what it says. I was interested in that. Why was I this? Why there were millions of girls in this country. But as far as I was concerned, the only really important mail I got, it didn't matter what else I received in the mail, I flipped through all those letters till I found that one. And it wasn't because of the beautiful penmanship. It wasn't because of the nice stationery. Sometimes it's written on very cheap stuff because we weren't too rich in those days. It wasn't because of any fancy things that were in there or nice smell. I don't know if she ever sent me one of these perfume letters. It wasn't because of that. It was because of the person from whom it came. Brother, sister, the Word of God is important for us tonight because it comes from the highest source and the highest authority in all of God's moral universe. It's important that we have the book in the second place because it's our only source of truth. There isn't any other source of real truth. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm in a dangerous place here. I'm speaking from a college platform. I, I'm backed up here by fellows that might stab me in the back here, but I want to tell you something. You can have all the textbooks you want to and all the reference works and all of this and that, but the only source of divine truth is in this book. We need the book because it's our only. We'll never know the truth unless we get it from the book. Amen. We need the book because it's the only thing that tells us the way to heaven. Oh, you can read about it, but anything that tells you any, any way to heaven that isn't agreeable with the book is wrong. This is our way to heaven. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you recall, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify me. You would not come to me that you might have life. Here's the only thing that can tell us the way to heaven. Amen. We need the book because one day it's going to be the book of our judgment. I read in Revelation 19 concerning the great white throne judgment and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. Now, my brethren have a lot of different interpretation to that, and I have mine, and we're not going to fall out over it. But I believe that the books, other than the book of life, is this book. Jesus said the words that I have spoken unto you, they shall judge you. We're going to be judged by what's in the book. 
we don't have the book and live up to the book, we're going to miss it. That's all. We're not going to be there. It's important that we have the book. When Hilkiah cried out, I have found the book. He wasn't just making a simple statement with no meaning, but he was making a statement that had the impact of changing a nation and of bringing them back to God. Now I'll tell you, friends, if we could get back to the simple faith in the book and a simple declaration of thus saith the Lord one more time, I believe we could have an old-fashioned revival. What they find in the book? That's the reason why a lot of folks don't want the book. A lot of people are like the Jehovah's Witness lady, place where I pastored many years ago. She was a leader, one of the leaders of the Jehovah's Witness sect in the county, and they just uh, were trying to take the entire county. Her husband was a barber in the city, and uh, at that time I was pastoring church and running newspaper in the town. And uh, one day I was in the barber shop and talking to the barber, and I said, your wife seems to really know the Bible. He kindly laughed, and he said, preacher, I've been married to that woman for 21 years. And he said, according to her, she knows more about the Bible than anybody. But he said, in 21 years, I have never seen her read the Bible. She's reading books about it. A lot of folks don't want to look in the book because they know what they're going to find. What they find in the book, first of all, they found out that they'd been wrong. Oh, that's a hard one to swallow. Me wrong? Did you know the besetting sin of the holiness movement today is the fact that we get saved, if we get sanctified, and we get so stuck up, nobody can tell us anything. I go out on streets and preach. Old hardened sinners come and get down to the side of the, of, the, of the curb and pray through and get to God. I go in worldly churches and preach holiness, and people, as worldly as the world can make them, will come to the altar and seek help from God. We've heard it over and over and over, and, and we've gotten so set in our way. We're not, why well, we couldn't possibly be wrong. Do you know what the worst thing a preacher can do? All oh, the besetting sin for a preacher is just to insinuate that there's somebody in the congregation whose uncle has an aunt, whose grandpa had a nephew, whose cousin didn't have old-time religion. Brother, you just insinuate that there's somebody in the family tree that didn't have all they needed, and you're in trouble. But I want to tell you something, friend. If we'd look in the book, we'd find what Josiah found. We'd find what the nation of Israel found. We're missing the mark a long ways. They found out that they, they were wrong. They found out their sin. And they found out that if they were going to get rid of that sin, they needed to repent. For God can't deal with sin unless we repent. God doesn't deal with sin at all. Oh, I know there's some people who say, oh, when he, he forgave me back there, he forgave me all my sins, past, present, and future. All I know to say about that is baloney. I don't believe it. Only sin God can forgive is a sin for which you repent. And if you don't repent of it, you're not forgiven of it. And they found in the book that they needed to repent. And they found in the book if they didn't repent, judgment was going to fall on them. Brother, sister, those three basic things we need to find in the Word of God. Oh, may God help us. To the church at Ephesus, God wrote, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Oh, now, 
we are not backslidden. We haven't gone back to the honky-tonks and the dance halls. And we haven't gone back to the world. They hadn't either, but they didn't love God like they should have loved him. And to that church, God said, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. Brother, God can't deal with sin of any kind, whether it be outbroken sin, low-down sin, uh, filthy sin, uh, or nice, little, refined, uh, cultured, cultivated, uh, educated, uh, holiness sin of not loving God like we ought to love him. It doesn't matter what kind of sin it is. God can't deal with it unless we're willing to repent of it. They found out that God was demanding repentance. Well, somebody said, Brother Denton, but aren't there some other authorities uh, to which we should listen. You know, Brother Denton, I, I believe this. I'll just tell you something. It doesn't make one bit of difference what I believe. If it isn't according to the book, I'm wrong. You see, we reject the Buddhists when they claim they have a book and the Muslims and uh, the Mormons and all these are groups that claim they have a book. We reject that, but we turn around and reject our own too. Well now, my opinion is this. Well brother, my opinion isn't worth a hill of beans unless it's according to the book. But now I interpret that this way. Well, my interpretation isn't worth one thing unless it's according to the book. Amen. Amen. There isn't any other authority when it comes to the things of God. This is it. The book is it. I have found the book. And somebody said, well, now, Brother Denton, uh, uh, after all, I, I think you ought to let your conscience be your guide. Isn't that nice? We're hearing more and more of that in the wholeness movement. Well, when I, I got in the, started out, you very seldom heard a Christian talking about letting their conscience be their guide. The book and the spirit were the guide. When your conscience is your guide, then every man's a law unto himself. But brother, nowhere in the book does it tell us that our conscience is our guide. Our conscience can be defiled. Our conscience can be seared. Our conscience can be uh, killed. It can be dead. The Holy Ghost and the Word of God are our guide. But somebody said, now, brother, didn't my church believes? Well, thank God for every good old-fashioned church, but I want to tell you something. If my church doesn't believe what's in the book, my church is wrong. But my pastor says, well, thank God for every good pastor that's preaching the old-fashioned truth of God. But I want to tell you something. If your pastor doesn't preach what's in the book, he's wrong. Amen. But now, my mother said, well, thank God for all the good mothers. I cherish the memory of my mother. But friends, it doesn't matter what my mother said. If she didn't tell me what was in the book, she was wrong. But now, brother, then doctor so-and-so said, our professor so-and-so said, our commentator so-and-so said. Well, remember now, that tater's just a commentator. And it doesn't matter what doctor so-and-so said or what professor or what commentator so-and-so said. If it's not according to the book, it's wrong. We need the book. Amen. 
Now, some of you are thinking right now. That's the reason why you're not shouting. You're thinking. And right at this point, I'd rather you thought than, than shout. Because we need to do some thinking, friends, along this line. I've been in this thing, if God lets me live another month, I will be finishing up 49 years of preaching in the church world. Isn't anything like it was 49 years ago. Whoa. We've got so far out. The simple, self-abnegating, sacrificial, humble, self-abased life, hardly ever seen among us anymore. We're all big shots. All chiefs, no Indians. Only two kind of people left anymore in the wholeness movement. That's the big shots and the Ben shots. I've been shot. Brother, we need to get back to the book where it's not what I say or you say, my church says, your church said, or anybody else said. What does the book say? Amen. Well, we need the book not only because of that, but somebody come along and say, well, now, Brother Dan, we have learned. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? And all the time, the book says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The book says you haven't started to learn till you've learned the right reverence and respect and the right attitude toward God. Isn't that something? Somebody else said, well, now, Brother Dan, if we were wrong, if I was wrong, God would stop me. Now, isn't that something? God makes us free moral agents. We can choose. We can go the way we want to. But then we say, well, now, I'm going to do what I want to do, and if it's wrong, God's going to stop me. Do you believe in free moral agency or don't you? If you believe that God's supposed to stop you when you do wrong, then you don't believe that you're a free moral agent. Huh? Well, now, God isn't going to stop you. You can do anything you want to do. You can be as low down as you want to be. You can be as sinful as you want to be. God isn't going to stop you. But he's already told you the consequences in the book. But somebody said, Brother Dad, he hasn't told me yet. Is that right? Here's some woman said, why, God's never told me it's wrong to cut my hair. Why, he has. He told you 1,900 years ago. Here's some man that comes along and says, well, God's never told me it was wrong for a man to have long hair. He has. He told you 1,900 years ago. Well, how did I know I was going to preach tonight? I got out of my car over in the parking lot and... Uh, I was in a hurry. I wanted to get over here to hear at least a part of the service this afternoon. And one of the boys said, uh, you going to preach tonight? And another one said, no, they've changed the schedule. But they didn't going to preach tonight. Well, when I got in my room, I found out I was. Now, how did I know? Did Brother... Miller come up and knock on the door and I open the door and he stands there and looks me in the face and he said, now, Brother Denton, you're supposed to preach tonight. Oh, no. No, no, I hadn't seen Brother Miller till I was sitting over here waiting for service start. How did I know I was supposed to preach tonight? Well, there was a little message on the table and I picked that message up and read it. It was signed by Ben Miller. And in that message, along with that message, there was a schedule of the services. And in that 
printed schedule I read that I was supposed to preach tonight. Brother Miller told me. I didn't see him. He didn't come to me personally. He didn't hunt me up and say, now, Brother Denton, all the other fellows have their schedule and, and uh, they can read the schedule, but I'm supposed to come to you because you're somebody special, you know, and, and uh, I'm supposed to, to come to you and tell you that you're the priest. Isn't that conceit? When God's told everybody in the world how they're supposed to live and given everybody the book that can get it, and then we stick our little puny, egotistical nose up in the face of the Almighty and say, well, if you want me to know it, you're going to have to come down here in person and tell me myself. Well, that's not a thing but unsanctified carnality and carnal conceit. God's already told us in his word. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, don't look so scared. I, I'm not going to mention anything else. I just use those two things as an example. But friends, if it's in the book, he's told you. Amen. But I, I haven't read it. Well, that's your fault. That isn't God's fault. Now, if we were in places where they never had a book, we might make a little allowance along some lines, but you and I don't have an excuse. And Josiah and the people of Israel didn't have any excuse. The book had been right there in the temple all the time. They could have read it any time if they'd had interest enough to hunt it up. But they had to uncover it like some of you might have to do. You'd have to move the true stories and the comic books and uh, uh, the picture albums. Huh? Say, how long is it going to take you to dig the book out from under all that junk when you get home? And we better be finding the book, for in this book, God has given us his message. Now, what should be our reaction to the book? I like what Josiah did. I know some people scoff at it, some deny it, some uh, uh, try to reinterpret it to make it suit them, some write another version and, and make uh, so that they'll get rid of some things they want to get rid of and make it sound like they want it to sound, you know, and some substitute and then some know it and just refuse to obey it. But what ought to be our reaction to the book? I like Josiah's reaction. He had your Bible open there. You'll go down in this Second Kings chapter 22, and you'll find verse 19 there that God said to Josiah, because thine heart was tender and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord. Josiah recognized the word of God. He recognized this was God's book and his heart was tender. He didn't say, well, bless God, I'm the king. They're not telling me what to do. Brother, you don't have to be the king to take that attitude. I want you to know I've been on this board 15 years. No wonder they call some of them boards. They'd bore you to death. And I've been superintendent of this Sunday school for 20 years. Yes, sir, and in 20 years you haven't had enough influence to get but 18 in Sunday school. Josiah didn't take that attitude. No, sir, he humbled his heart. He was tender-hearted. 
Oh, may God in his mercy somehow or other get to us and help us to realize when God speaks to us and we see our need, don't harden our heart and stiffen our neck and refuse to mind God. Josiah the king was tenderhearted and he humbled himself and he wept before the Lord. And he prayed, cried, begged for mercy. That ought to be our response. That isn't all Josiah did. If you go down to chapter 23 and verse 3, we'll find there where Josiah gathered all the people together at the temple and had uh, the book read, had the entire book read to them. Most of us can sit still while the preacher reads eight or ten verses for his scripture, but he had the whole book, the entire book of the law. As far as I know, the first five books, the books of Moses, had them all read to the people. Praise God. And then after the reading of the book, he made a covenant with God that he had served God and walked in the light of the book. And if you do that, some things are going to happen. The next thing he did in verse 4, chapter 23, verse 4, they cleaned up the church. They carried out, I like the word that's used here, they carried out the vessels out of the church. Frying pans, stewing kettles. I don't know whether that's what they had or not, but anyway, they got all the junk out of there, didn't have any business being there. I wonder what they carry out of your church. They had a real house cleaning. They cleaned up the church. Down in verse uh, 5, he got rid of the idolatrous preachers. Uh oh. Having a hard time keeping enough pastors now. I wonder what would happen if we had a house cleaning in the ministry. We'd have to go back to the old Methodist circuit system like I started out. I started out as a circuit rider down in the mountains. We'd have to go back to that, brother, if we got rid of all the fellows that weren't going by the book. He got rid of the preachers that, that weren't going by the book. Verse 6, he got rid of the the things in the, in the house of God that they were using for the worship of idols for the wrong purpose. Then verse 7, I want to read this one to you. And he broke down the houses of the sodomites that were by the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings or tents for the grove. You see, friends, when immorality, sodomy, homosexuality, lesbianism, Perverted sex gets into the church. It's a sign that we become heathens. Heathenism always produces perverted sex. And I say it kindly tonight, but there are churches across this land that are adopting the very thing that Josiah got rid of back there. May God in his mercy help us. Move on down in verse 10. He got rid of the stuff that they had that they've been using to pollute their children. Oh, we wouldn't do what they did. They, they would build a fire, uh, uh, sacrificing to their heathen gods, and then they'd have their children run through the fire. We don't do that. We just put them in the high school band or, or send them out half-dressed or let our little girls run around uh, with miniskirts or doing the same thing. We're sacrificing them to the devil. Amen. 
not only that, but he got, he got rid of a bunch of horses. They had, they had some horses there that they had uh, offered to the sun god. They had made a sacrifice of them to, the, to their heathen gods. Now, I know I'm preaching to city dudes. You don't have any horses, but my brother, how we love our dogs and our cats. Amen. I'll move on quickly before I get shot. He pulled out all the high places where they had been worshiping. Clean house. And then down in verse 24 of chapter tw uh, 23, I want to read this entire verse to you. Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem did Josiah put away that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. He got rid of all the folks that were practicing spiritualism. Amen. Palm readers. Amen. Tea leaf readers. Amen. Ouija board players. Amen. He wants he want the mercy of God on his nation. And friends, if we want it, we better be doing something. Amen. Now I'll come quickly to close here tonight, pointing out to you that you and I have the book. I can't remember a time. My father and mother, when I was a boy, they weren't Christians. They were both backslidden. My father never did get back to God. I had the privilege of helping my mother to get saved and sanctified before she went home to heaven. But I can't ever remember the time that we didn't have the book in our home. And whenever a preacher came along, didn't matter who he was, they always got the book. And the preacher could read it and have prayer. I've had the book all my life. I've preached to many on foreign lands that never saw a book. But I've had it all my life. Most of us have had it all of our life. And I ask you, friends, what are you doing with it? How are you responding to what's in the book? Do you know anything that's in this book that God's told you to do that you're not doing? Is there anything in this book that God said you shouldn't do that you're still doing? Are you walking in all the light that God's given you in this book? Are you? If you are, thank God you have grounds to rejoice and praise God. But if you're not, you oughtn't to wait another hour. You oughtn't to wait another minute to get to a place of prayer. Do what Josiah did. Humble your heart. Pray. Weep before God. Ask him to forgive you. And then make a covenant with him that you're going to walk in the light of this book. As a Stoneberg camp in Pennsylvania some years ago in a youth camp, and one night in the service, in my message, I read Brother Shellhammer's track on the traits of the carnal mind. And I just read the track to those young people. And I said, now what are you going to do about it? And God struck that crowd. They began to stream to the altar. I don't know how many came. There were scores of them. But one young lady came down the aisle. She was a rather large girl. And she came with a determined look on her face. And as she came down the aisle, she was looking right straight at me. And I just stood there and watched her. I was so amazed that she wasn't looking at the altar. She was looking at me. 
And she didn't stop at the altar. She walked right on up on the platform. Very determined look on her face and said, let me see that. Well, I opened my Bible and took the track out and handed it to her. She stood there and started reading that track, four pages, four large pages. I was so amazed at what she was doing, I just stood there and waited to see what would happen. She read the entire track all the way through. When she got through, handed it back to me, just like that. Said, well, that's that. I got to do something. And down to the altar she went and prayed to her through. My friends, here it is. What are you going to do? I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA. i